everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is special guest Kevin Wall. Hey, John. How's it going today? It's going well. It's going well. Uh, Dan's enjoying Italy, so Kevin is here in his stead. Uh, you probably recognize Kevin's voice from one of Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast's other shows, uh, Faster, Stronger, Orange, where Kevin has gotten some really great guests um, over the last uh, few months. Uh, Kevin, how, how do you do it? Get, get such um, awesome people on the podcast. You know, I've been lucky to have uh, established a little bit of relationship with some of the folks uh, at, at Syracuse and some of the athletes was able to grab some some really um, outstanding student athletes, you know, and Aiden Tooker and then uh, Santita Bonguese and Paige Stoner. And so working with folks at SU now to, as the teams roll back into camp uh, to be doing some more interviews and hopefully we get some previews and, and try and touch on all the sports with faster, stronger orange and, you know, hit up some of the things that people don't uh, hear a lot about women's soccer and volleyball. And, and of course though, my ties with cross country and track uh, people can expect to hear a lot about them uh, coming up this year. Awesome. Definitely looking forward to more of that. Um, folks that are listening now, though, probably want to hear a little bit about football, a little bit about basketball. We have both on tap today before we get into an ACC Coastal preview. Uh, yes, we are getting to that point in the offseason where this podcast is actually talking about conferences that you care about. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Dino Baber's quote today, which was uh, pretty excellent. I'll, uh, I'll read it for those who, who weren't on Twitter or weren't on the blog. Um, he, When passing the media room today, he uh, remarked, you guys ever tried iced coffee? I don't know why anybody would do illegal drugs when there's iced coffee. Uh, this is a, it. It's a classic Dino quote. It's uh, Andrew Graham, who uh, captured it from Daily Orange, uh, said it was pretty much context-free. Uh, he happened to have a, uh, a coffee in his hand. But otherwise, like there was really not a lot of like stage setting for this one. Um, Kevin, do you think this is top five already in terms of Dino quotes? I mean, it's up there. I still think the the Andre Cisco ACC Media Day one is going to be tough to top. I mean, talking about going to Walmart and picking up some buys and tries, and just dropping that out there like that was that was that was scold to me. And uh, you know, the iced coffee one is just uh, Dino man. He he. I wouldn't be surprised if he's got a sponsorship deal by the kickoff of the first game. Um, and he someone should be. And if if they're not. Um, I know SU partners with Duncan, and, and they should be all over that uh, right away. Yeah, seriously. I mean, I know SU already works with Duncan, so this should be a no-brainer to uh, to get him advertising immediately. Yeah, so we'll have to see, though, if Dino is uh, really adapted to Syracuse and if he's going iced coffee in February, because that's the true test. <laughs> we will see. Um, also on the football front, uh, La Familia had episode three this week. Uh, we saw a little bit less talking, a little bit more music. Uh, I, I didn't pick up everything that was on there, but I wasn't like listening super intently. Right. Um, I think I heard explosions in the sky, like you're now like typical, um, like ever since Friday Night Lights, um, you know, football, like training soundtrack slash montage, uh, right. some other hip hop tracks. Um, also good to just like get a little bit more uh, of a look at Kendall Coleman. I know this has been like one of the defining characteristics of the series so far is just the fact that we're finally like shining a light on, on all of these, like, you know, some long time, some like short term players, 
um, who have these cool backstories and and personalities and things like that. And they're, 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 they're either well-trained media wise, or they're just savvy in general and understand, um, you know, how to, how to be in front of a camera. So, and Kevin, what's been your favorite part so far, other than, you know, Tommy DeVito being everything we ever hoped he'd be? I mean, I think it's, it's getting to know these student athletes and, um, you know, we've talked about it for a while now that that's one of the things that we felt Syracuse needed to do is to help people in the community get to know these players besides what they see. And, and when you get to know these athletes and know a little bit more about them and, and some of the things that are important to them, it kind of it sways the people in the community. You know, it makes it a little bit easier sometimes to convince people to, to throw their support. I mean, you think of someone like Kendall Coleman, and, and I was really impressed to hear more about Moniel and his background. I mean, it's just some things that you, we haven't gotten a really good glimpse of from the college students. And it, part of the reason why I wanted to do the podcast with was try to shine a light uh, on some of these uh, student athletes and and bring these interesting stories to the forefront because you know we've got a great fan base that loves to hear more about these athletes and you, know, you see a lot of, about it a lot in basketball. And, you know, it's a little bit easier when you see their faces and you, you see them um, so often and with football hidden behind the helmets and the pads, you know, to get some some insight. And, you know, you got a defensive lineman that's also a poet. And, you know, you just uh, it's a lot of fun for me to get that side. Um, you know, the, the the stuff that's sort of like the hard knocks, the camp, that's all cool and everything. And um, but to, to see the players and get to see a little bit of their personality, I think, is a great use of the, the platform uh, and, and sort of the direction the program's going. I, I would imagine this is going to really resonate with recruits as well. Yeah, I mean, props to the SU video team for, you know, just doing such a great job. I think especially in the last year, um, they've really upped their game and they've really kind of set a new standard for, for what SU's uh, athletic teams you know, can do. I, I just, in terms of like social media sharing and video in general, like mm-hmm. this is just, it does speak to, yeah, like you said, like what resonates with kids today, like, you know, whether you're going to appear on national TV super often or not, like, you know, getting the opportunity to have like these, this platform and, and, a, and a feature on yourself and be able to like, like most people do talk about yourself for a little bit and, and share some insights. Like that, that, that could be a deal breaker when looking at, you know, between, do you want to go to Syracuse? You want to go to like maybe an Iowa state or a Kansas state or another school like that, that might not have the same sort of, you know, vibrant communications department or the vibrant, you know, video department. Like th- th- this is an exposure opportunity, just right. like the ACC network is an exposure opportunity, just like other options, you know, other things that SU has at its disposal or, or an exposure opportunity. So yeah, I hope that, uh, that a lot of these kids, you know, that it resonates with them and a lot of the kids that are already on campus hope they're able to take advantage and, and kind of introduce themselves. Cause I feel like, you know, I, I think under Scott Schaefer, there was a little bit of, of an insular approach mm-hmm. uh, to media. And I think under Dino, like while Dino is very savvy and also like understands where and when to let media in, I, I think right. that we're now moving past the, like at this point, there's hardly any Schaefer era uh, players left on campus I think that we're moving past like the like kind of like, you know, media blackout that that might have been instituted under uh, under that regime. And I saw today that two of the assistant coaches are going to be appearing uh, with Galaxy Communications. So that's the first time that Dino's had assistant coaches doing sort of media rounds as well. So I think that, uh, you know, I think that maybe is a a trust with him and the staff. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, that was a big step uh, along with Eric Dungy, who's going to be back in town 
doing some work. So the, the fact that the assistant coaches are going to now be talking um, is, is another step forward. And, you know, with that ACC network and the capabilities of Newhouse and the students, I'm hoping that we see these sort of profiles done more for uh, not just football, but reaching out to other sports as well. Yeah, I mean, in general, like this does seem like a little bit of a like between the video series and then like all these announcements around who's going to be available. I, I think we're we're starting to see the maybe the athletic department overall, or at least the football program, like kind of turn a new leaf there. I, I know, like you know, Stephen Bailey has definitely been one to to raise some some eyebrows every time. Like you know, Syracuse media hasn't been able to to get maybe right. a, a reasonable amount of access, and, and I think like. Whatever's been said, either publicly or behind closed doors, definitely resonated because I know, you know Stephen even remarked, you know how, how long he was able to be at practice and how much video right. they were able to get. Uh, and part of that's probably a trust thing between Dino and the media too. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think he sees and, and SU Athletics knows at this point. Like, SU Media, us included, just want to see the, these programs be successful. And right, like ultimately, ultimately, if they're not, but you're doing the right thing while they're not, mm-hmm. we're we're fine with it. <laughs> Right. Because we're seeing us building towards something more positive on the other end. Now that Dino's had the 10 win season, you know, I think he also has more trust in himself and everything else where, you know, he's like, all right, like people know what we're about at this point. Everyone has the tape. Like everyone knows we're not going to catch anybody right. by surprise this year. So I think that that element of surprise and, and, and that like coming out of nowhere factor that we probably had for much of last year, I think is also gone. So he figures, right you know watching tommy throw a couple of balls isn't really going to do anything uh, for for florida state or clemson necessarily well you know what doesn't hurt is that clemson wins the national title and they're probably one of the most open programs and their use of their own internal sort of social media and the access they provide to national reporters um i was listening to marty smith on levertard the other morning and he was talking about how he should have an apartment in clemson he's there so often but he talked about how you know, they go where teams are winning. And if you want to be a winning program and media want access, then if you're going to shut them out, they're not going to come back. And I think Clemson being open to the media and then still winning football games kind of helps some of that mentality of, oh, wait, maybe we don't have to, you know, draw the curtains closed and circle around and put up these, you know, barriers that, that we can, you know, they're, they're doing it. You know, there's, like you said, there's no secrets. Uh, you let people watch a little bit, you let them inside to get to know the athletes and it's a win-win. Yeah. Whoever, whether Dino or somebody else on staff, whoever decided that, uh, that we're getting a little bit more open this year. Thank you. Uh, happy yeah. to, happy to continue, you know, writing about, about everything and, and, and can't wait to have some more great stories uh, about this team. Uh, shifting focus a little bit uh, for the time being to basketball, however, um, Going to be a little shorthanded in Italy. I don't think that really matters in terms of results. The results themselves don't really matter. At the same time, right. I think it'll be fun to see what this team can do without Marek, without John Ball Ajak. Like, there's going to be a very young and very inexperienced team out there, but this is the sort of group that uh, you know could potentially gel really well mm-hmm. uh, here, try out some new things. I think we're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of Bryson Goodine, a lot of um, Jalen Carey. A lot of Joe Girard, like I, again, don't really care about what the results are necessarily. Um, I'd love to see, as you would too, just some some new offensive sets, um, maybe a little more, uh, you know, running involved on offense, a little more transition ball, um, and some more like 
some more threes from some actual three-point shooters, which, which may be the case for this group. Right, and everybody says that the shooting's much improved this year, and so it'll be interesting to see what kind of lineups Jim Beheim throws out there. You know, uh, will he play, you know, buddy at forward with Gerard and Carey or good nighting Gerard, and, and how will he mix and match players while they're down a couple guys? Um, I'm curious to see what kind of opportunity this will be for Jesse Edwards. Um, I think with Barama Sidibe returning from injury, they're probably going to watch his minutes in these games, um, you know, rightfully so. And so Edwards now becomes the second center on the tour. So, you know, a guy who was a late sign, you know, maybe weren't expecting much, but now he's got an opportunity to show himself in some competition. And so, you know, will he seize that opportunity? Will uh, Braswell, Robert Braswell, you know, take that leap forward and, and make the most of getting some extra minutes in these games because this could be a springboard for those guys to to open eyes heading into you know preseason practice. Yeah, I mean, as some may recall, like you know, before the uh, the thirteen fourteen season, SU had a pretty like young like team that was turning over a bunch, and they went to Canada, did reasonably well, but more importantly, like the team was able to coalesce and was able to like kind of create the chemistry that that in part like set the tone for that 25 and 0 start. Like I don't think we're going to start 25 and 0 this year. Uh at the same time like these are just a lot of kids who are not necessarily like well versed in 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 the zone yet. They're not well versed in rotations, they're not well versed in just playing the college game. So I I think for me like the, the most critical piece here is just going to be the comfort level and like how how these kids, I mean, obviously these aren't NCAA games necessarily, but just how these kids look um, like in these game scenarios with each other. And if we see, to me, most importantly, if we see that progress from right. game one to game four, like uh, of them looking like they're they're just in a better groove together and, and you start again, like most importantly, start seeing that zone um, look probably cleaner from, from, from game one to game four. I think that'll be a huge sign and maybe a really nice uh, boost for this team going forward. Right. And it's important this year because you get two preseason games and then you get Virginia to open up the season. So, I mean, this is a group that's not going to be able to ease their way in through the non-conference, you know, and get five or six sort of easy games before they get tested and, and thrown out there. And even though Virginia lost a lot, you know, they're going to bring back some guys who are on that title team. And, and so, you got to be ready to go right right in November. So that'll be exciting. And, and so this this tour gives that group, like you said, the extra opportunity to, to work out some of the kinks, especially in the zone and and be ready to go in November. Yeah, in general, like this is, you know, you, you mentioned Virginia. I think in general, the, the start to the season is is pretty tough. Like you don't have to run through the whole thing. But, you know, after, after Virginia, they get Colgate, Seattle, Cornell, Bucknell, like, manageable games at home. I think Cornell could be better. I think Bucknell could be better. Seattle wasn't as bad as you might think last year. Like Colgate was, was reasonably good. And then like you get Oklahoma state and, and the either Ole Miss or Penn state down at uh, Barclays, like SU, as as we've talked about on the site has played pretty poorly in the boroughs um, in recent years. So I, I think this is a huge, huge, uh, you know, opportunity for them. I don't think you're going to see a lot of OK State or Ole Miss fans, but you're probably going to see a lot of Penn State fans, right. uh, despite the fact that they're not really a basketball school. Um, we should be able to own this event and pick up two, you know, you know, quad two ish wins at the very least. Right. But I think that I think how we do there really, and how we, 
how we kind of manage that stretch after the Virginia game and going into these uh, Brooklyn games is probably going to decide, you know, kind of quite a bit about where we're headed. I know this is probably going to look a lot like, um, you know, 2015, 16, perhaps, and and how we kind of traverse what ends up being like a tougher schedule, but we'll see. I'm excited. And I like, again, I I think the, the, the Italy games are going to at least give us a bit of a hint on uh, on what's coming up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Cool. I think that's, I think we're good. Actually, no, one more thing before halftime. Kevin, how did you feel knowing that Syracuse was going to be ranked in the coaches poll almost, almost undoubtedly um, before it came out? How did you feel though, to see, to see a number next to Syracuse's name after so many years of it not happening um, to start to start a regular season? Man, it's uh, it's a good feeling to start off there, you know, to have that, to be, to flip through top 25 previews and, and wonder not, oh, you know, who's going to be there. I'd like to see well, where Syracuse is going to be. I mean, it's the first time in a long time we've actually had to go through previews and kind of make a list of where the rankings are instead of the, oh, what are the comments about how bad Syracuse is going to be now? And, and so, you know, it's exciting. You, know, you can tell around here in the community that people are, are definitely looking forward to the season. Um, there's more talk about it um, than there's been in such a long time, um, probably since the first Marone game. You know, people were excited about him coming in and the and the hope, I think at that point, the desperate hope that somehow someone would help restore football. Um, but this is this is fun. And to, to be there um, heading in is going to be uh, interesting to watch and see how the team sort of responds because they're not going to sneak up on anybody this year. But uh, but, man, it's nice to have a number besides the name when you're when you're looking at Syracuse on, on whatever website. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, as I know, I'm not as long suffering, perhaps, as, as many other fans. Um, I did watch the team uh, growing up, not wasn't the level of fan that I was once I got onto campus, obviously, but right. um, I've, de- I've definitely been through, uh, you know, mostly the lows, Probably unfortunately. The most painful. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd argue like the, yeah, I mean, get, getting to campus at, at the end of 20, uh, 2006, Definitely not a definitely not the most enjoyable time on campus. And then, like, you know, when I started like paying more weekly attention when I was in high school, things were already like headed south. Right. Um, at the end of the Coach P years, um, I have only like glimmers of um, like the late McNabb years going into like kind of the the swan songs for uh, for Coach P. But yeah, it, it's definitely nice to actually have like some positive football memories now. Uh, that that I can bank on. It's 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 altered my kind of viewpoint on the team and the program and writing about them, which is nice because I mean for basketball I had a little bit of both, right? Um, shaping my experience, but in football, like largely largely defined by the negative, you, you do kind of it does start to affect your psyche around the team and how you write about them. So it's nice to get a balance there. Um, yeah, I mean you you go in with some optimism and not oh, <laughs> can this team can this team find six wins, you know. And now you're going in like, okay, well, you know, we're assuming that six is sort of rock bottom for a group, you know, like that's the bad, bad outcome. And instead of, oh, can we find some way to somehow squeak out six wins? And so um, definitely much more exciting to have football season approaching when you've got that sort of 
ray of sunshine and you're like, oh, let's see what they can do this year as opposed to, oh, what is this going to turn into? Yeah, and obviously like the uh, the devil on the other shoulder is like just l- letting us get as positive as humanly possible so that we can get smacked down. <laughs> uh, that's the Syracuse fan in you. I know. Uh, one more thing on the poll, I guess. Um, did you agree with 22nd? Do you think that there's anyone ahead of us that were better than? Do you think there's anyone behind us that were worse than? I think uh, it seems fair because I think there's a big question from a lot of people around the how do you replace Eric Dungy? Um, you know, I was talking with the Virginia Tech podcast folks last night, and that was like, oh, you must be really concerned about the quarterback. And I'm like, well, actually more probably concerned with the offensive line than, than the quarterback. And maybe, you know, what we saw in the glimpses of DeVito, uh, Tommy DeVito last year, gives us more hope because we think of the Florida State and the North Carolina games, where I think a lot of the maybe national folks looked at the Notre Dame game and, and sort of they're thinking, oh, gee, Dungy went out and then Syracuse didn't look competitive. And I actually think that there were a couple plays that could have changed that game. You know, there looked like a pass interference, no call on Nikeem Johnson, you know, on DeVito's first pass, and then a tip ball that gets returned, intercepted and returned. So I don't think he was um, that poor of a, a QB in that game. But I think for a lot of people, that's the last memory of him. And so they just look at the numbers and say, oh, gee, Dungy accounted for so much of the offense who's going to replace him? Oh, that Tommy DeVito kid. Eh, he didn't look so good against Notre Dame, but he was also, so I, I, he also to come back from like three touchdowns down and dig. I mean, yeah, yeah. They, they know you're going to pass. So right. you're passing. It, yeah. And it was, it were, he was thrown into a, a very difficult situation against a good team, you know? And so I, I think we might have, um, uh, air to the side of optimism with him and look at, you know, where he was as an elite 11 QB and what the coaches, you know, how they badly they wanted him for this offense and how he was the first guy, you know, Babers, you know, really wanted to get to, to be his quarterback. And other people just look at the stats and look at Dungy and not to take anything away from Dungy at all. But I think um, so for a lot of people, that's kind of a, a, a prove me, you know, prove me that you're ready to, to take over for a guy who's been let's face it, he's been the face of the Syracuse football team for four years and, and Eric. And so, you know, in the way he played, he, he had a lot of fans, even of opposing teams um, who could appreciate sort of that, that warrior mentality that he brought. And so I think that's a reason why Syracuse might be finding itself in 22. And again, preseason poll, it's just pure speculation. And, and the good thing is it'll, it'll sort of, it'll sort itself out as he gets through the season. Agreed, agreed. Uh, Kevin, why don't we take a quick break for our sponsor? Sure. And we're back uh, a little bit of halftime. Kevin, I totally understand if you are not prepared to talk about what you drank this past <laughs> week. But what have you drank this past week? Uh, but I, I can tell you that I've, I've had uh, been going through a couple different sessions. Uh, one was the Founders All Day, and the other is the, the Southern Tier uh, session IPA. And uh, Personally, uh, I would lean towards the Southern Tier. Uh, I'm not as in tune with the craft beer scene as you or Dan or Andy or Steve, but uh, you know it's been a it's been a warm summer here, so I've been enjoying uh, some se- some sessions uh, lately. Can't blame me there. Uh, on my end, I've mentioned this one a couple times. Uh, Luponic Distortion from Firestone Walker, the uh, 13th edition of it. Uh, really delicious beer again ipa but only 5.7 percent uh so super light basically a session 
uh, had from uh, Turo, uh, the brewery sour, um, you know, label there, uh, Take My Hand. That was a really good kind of sour blonde. Uh, had Stone Tropic Thunder Lager. It's always a staple around here. Uh, speaking of sessions, I had an Easy Jack session from Firestone Walker. Um, went to a new spot down in Lomita, uh, not too far from me, uh, Burning Daylight Brewery. And uh, they ha- I had their Bubbles, which is a pale ale. I actually ended up getting a growler of that. Um, their Burning Jays IPA was a West Coast style, thankfully for me, because I get super bad heartburn from Hazy's. Uh, and a local lager. It was a, like a really good uh, IPL. So great that I found a new spot. Great that uh, it's close enough that I can kind of pop down there whenever. Right. Nice, nice. And you ruffled some feathers with your craft brewery rankings on always. the site. Yeah. <laughs> as always, the, uh, the the Virginia Cavaliers fans are, as for some reason, super thin-skinned about this and most things. But in particular, uh, this one, I wouldn't say all Who's fans. I, I, I enjoy I enjoy plenty of, of, of Who's fans, um, in particular a lot of the guys and, and gals over at Streaking the Lawn. That said, um, Virginia fans do get super prickly about this list every year. Um, huh. I it's guess surprising to me because I thought Charlottesville <laughs> natives only drink Dreaming Tree wine. <laughs> I, I would say for Charlottesville natives, just 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 get better beer like in the actual city, um, because like you have really good breweries. The problem is everybody else in the ACC does too, save Virginia Tech. Um, so as I mentioned in the post. Well, everybody like, well, every I think every city for the most part, even Virginia Tech, like all those schools have gotten better beer over time. But the problem is everything's kind of increased at the same rate, right? So yeah, even the even the cities that have gotten better over time can't really move up. Um, we saw a little bit of fluctuation at the top because I keep changing the uh, requirements specifically to keep people guessing and, and make things a little more varied. But yeah, for those who haven't read that, go for it. Right, and we we have a bunch of Syracuse folks down in Charlottesville at the Reebok Boston Club, so we can send them some some good Central New York beer, craft beers down there, so they can get a good taste. <laughs> I'm sure this is going to be quoted somewhere. It probably yeah. will, and, and I'll take all the heat for that. That's fine. <laughs> uh, now we move on to we're going to end up talking about Virginia at some point. Yeah, um, our ACC Coastal preview. As everybody knows, we went conference by conference all offseason. We now move on to the last two episodes of that endeavor where we split the ACC into divisions because we didn't want to leave anything out with our conference mates in particular. Uh, Right off the top, Kevin, who do you think is winning the Coastal? I know everyone's kind of just answering this with a shrug face this offseason. Yeah, I mean, who do you you pick? I think uh, I would probably give Virginia the edge heading into the season. Um, you know, with Bryce Perkins at quarterback and, and Bryce Hall on the secondary. And Virginia Athletics has been on quite a good run lately. So I think heading in, I think in college, if you've got a quarterback and your quarterback situation is solid, that's where I'm going to give them the edge. I don't think there's a, a big difference in the coastal right now, at least coming into the preseason. Um, Virginia, Miami, maybe Pitt and Virginia Tech are a little bit step behind those, those teams in terms of talent. But I think right now I'd give Virginia that nod. Yeah, I think I, yeah, not that I, I want to just, you know, play um, the, the same sort of, you know, angle you have here. But yeah, I think Virginia, 
you know, had a lot of close games last year and was very close to being even better than they actually ended up being at nine and four. Mm-hmm. Um, I think looking in the division, like they're at Miami, yes, but and they're at Pitt. Uh, both of those are probably going to decide a lot. I don't think I'm not that high on Pitt, but I think Syracuse fans are always by default like two games lower on Pitt than they probably end up being. Uh, right. But like tough games against potentially Duke, uh, Virginia Tech, uh, both at home. Georgia Tech, who might actually like know what the hell they are um, in November. That one's at home. I think really the Virginia Tech game could end up deciding the division, even if I think the Hokies are kind of coming undone a little bit. Um, I think it helps that Virginia and Virginia Tech have two of the best quarterbacks in the conference. Right. And, and that should probably carry both. But Virginia in general, I think, has one of the better defenses in the conference. Like you mentioned, Bryce Hall, who's an All-American candidate. Um, in general, the secondary has been really good. And I think with some you know veteran linebacker playback uh, and, and Eli Handback, who is uh, one of the better defensive tackles in the conference, like this just seems like a group that even if the offense steps back a little bit with – uh, replacing most of the offensive line, I think mm-hmm. there's still a good bet to win at least like seven or eight games. Yeah, and like you mentioned, that first week is going to tell a lot. You know, them traveling to Pitt in in the opener, and uh, you know Virginia Tech goes to Boston College, and you know I just <clears throat> you know we'll learn a lot from that first week. I just I need Miami to show something on offense. I mean, since they joined the conference, all I've heard from people is how the U is back every year. The U is back. The U is back. And they're loaded on defense. But, you know, can Dan Enos get that quarterback situation settled? I mean, they, they've got skill, but I kind of want to see, is it going to be Tate Martell? Is it going to be Nikosi Perry? You know, who's going to take the reins for them and be able to deliver when they need to? Because that defense was really good last year, and it wasn't enough because the offense just can't, couldn't get it done, which is, is really odd for Miami not to, to be able to do it. Yeah, I think that was a great segue into Miami. Um, their quarterback position's been really weird of late. They, yeah, it, you have that much exposure to, um, you know, South Florida offensive talent. I feel like you should be a lot better. Um, I, at running back, they are pretty good. I think uh, DJ Dallas and Lorenzo Lingard are both, you know, two of the better running backs in the conference. Right. I think that the problem is, like, every team in the league for the most part, can throw the ball at least reasonably well. And, like, Miami's kind of the outlier right now, which is unfortunate because, like, this defense, for them, like, if the the offense was even, like, slightly above average, this defense would be able to carry them uh, without much issue to a division title here, you know, despite kind of the cluster. Uh, Because Miami is the most talented team in this this division by a mile. Um, They just haven't really been able to put it together. And realistically, and, and, like, you can tell me if you disagree, I'm not necessarily sure that Manny Diaz is the guy um, to to coax the most talent out of out of this group, even if I think he he has shown himself to be to be a pretty good coach um, at the assistant level, I'm just not sure if you know he's the guy that's going to be able to to kind of figure out. Oh, the offense has this missing piece, and mm-hmm. we're going to be able to to kind of triumph through it. I think he in, in year one at least could be the coach that we, the offense has this missing piece, and and you're going to very much see it every weekend. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's very interesting to me. I, I like him. Um, I like what he's trying to do. Um, it really kind of bring back that swagger, that mentality. Um, you know, we thought they had it with the turnover chain, but that didn't really carry forward. You know, when they weren't winning games. Um, but it's it's tough to read on him. You know, is he going to be able to to make that adjustment as a first time head coach who has focused on the defensive side of the ball to be able to either step in 
you know, and, and take over when the offense is struggling or, or is he going to step and be hands off, totally hands off. And, and so I'm really curious to see what they look like against Florida um, in, in that week zero game, um, because they're really trying to I think it's important for the conference. If Miami's sort of back just because of the attention they bring nationally, but I'm not ready to, to hand the, hand them the coastal until I see a little bit more from both Diaz and the quarterback situation. Yeah, to be honest, I think we're going to know everything about Miami's season by October 11th. Yeah. Yeah, Based, exactly. uh, yeah like Florida uh, in that week zero game. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's a week zero game. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, you got Virginia Tech on October 5th and Virginia on October 11th. Um, I'd be surprised if anyone but, you know, UVA, Virginia Tech, and, and Miami won the division. I've been surprised about this division before, however. but like last year? Like last year and, yeah. and several other seasons. But in general, like, I, I do think that there's a little bit of a, a, a tiered system this year, uh, injuries aside, that, like, yeah, Miami could – if Miami's 3-3 three and three at the end of the October 11th game against Virginia, there is zero chance that they're playing for the, the, the Coastal title. Um, and – they could be in a lot more trouble potentially, but um, if, if they're four and two or even five and one, I, mean, I think four and two. If the two losses to Virginia Tech and Virginia, I think my three and three point still stands. If they're five and one or six and zero, oh, like Miami's a top ten contender and and in the class of the coastal uh, by a long shot. Right. Yeah. There's a a lot in the ACC that we're going to know in that first month of the season. Very, very true for Syracuse as well, but I think that's a that's a conversation for the Atlantic Division uh, exactly. next week. <laughs> uh, moving around the conference, well, the division a little bit. Um, talk a little little bit about Duke. Um, I'm still crushed that the uh, NFL team that I pretty much have disowned at this point um, drafted Daniel Jones as early as they did. Yeah. Uh, but the, the cupboard's not bare for them. Uh, obviously, Deion Jackson's back. Most of the line's back. Uh, Quentin Harris actually looked pretty good at quarterback. Uh, when he saw the field last year, he had 437 passing yards and seven touchdowns. Um, and his action, uh, defensively, they're actually looking really good. And that, I mean, Mark Gilbert is potentially not looking good to be active or as active as people thought. Nonetheless, like, you get away from the linebacker position, the rest of this defense is really experienced um, they're very good. I think this is probably one of the better Duke defenses mm-hmm. um, that David Cutcliffe has had, and that should concern Syracuse fans at least a little bit. Um, but I, I'm actually pretty like bullish on Duke. I think they can go six and six um, this year. I think starting at Alabama versus Alabama in Atlanta is bad, yes. but like, yeah, like, like just just a poor idea. But but the rest of it, like. The only like sure loss on the schedule other than Alabama is really Notre Dame. And I mean, I even include Syracuse is not a sure loss. I think SU might actually lose to Duke, but they're, they're, they're a team that you might not know the full story of the season by October 12th or so, but at the same time, like you probably have a pretty good read for where they're headed um, with, with three divisional games, Virginia tech, Pittsburgh and Georgia tech um, in yeah. succession in that like, you know, late September, early October area. So what I look at for Duke is, you know, back a couple years ago when Louisville played Alabama in the first week and got throttled and things just, you know, the the snowball caught fire in Louisville. And I think Cutcliffe is different than Petrino, obviously, personality-wise. But when you start off um, your first week in a situation like that, 
you know, what sort of lingering impact does that have on a team? And, you know, does your, can you protect your quarterback so they don't get hit so often in that first week that they are gun shy heading into f- further weeks? But I like Cutcliffe. I think he's a good coach. Um, I agree with you. I don't think they'll fall off as much as people might be thinking uh, after losing Daniel Jones because he's proven and he's able to kind of tweak his system to the talent. And, also, they played well without Daniel Jones last year. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, when you have a good coach uh, that's proven that he's able to win some games, I think, you know, I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, going back to what we were talking about with Manny Diaz, whereas Cutcliffe was able to adapt, you know, to his team who who lost their big weapon and still able to win games. And so it's just for me, you know, can they – I mean, not only getting an Alabama team, but you're getting an Alabama team that was humbled in their last game, and they're going to be out to send a message that first week. Speaking of first week messages, uh, Georgia Tech, kind of our, our, our next team to talk about here, and they face Clemson at Clemson in week one. Uh, it's one of the uh, ACC Network kind of kickoff games on the 29th. This seems like a terrible idea for them, considering that they're not just the whole new coaching staff and a whole new system, but transitioning away from, you know, a, uh, a kind of spread option, wishbone type deal, uh, right. it's, it's, it's falsely usually referred to as a triple option. In this case, it really isn't. But uh, nonetheless, it's done. Um, Georgia Tech now gets to recruit actual Atlanta athletes to play actual football. Um, and that's going to take a couple of years. They're going to be really good potentially in the trenches, or they would be if they returned any talent there. Right. Um, I think this is going to be a really rough season for them, but you know, maybe November they can start to pull things together. Even if, well, I'd say they would start to pull things together in November, if not for a brutal schedule to close the season. Um, Pitt at UVA, Virginia Tech, NC State, Georgia. Uh, that's a recipe for disaster. Even if you start, if things start clicking, you could lose every one of those games pretty easily. Right. I mean, I look at Georgia Tech and I think their their season is about are, are they going to be the coastal spoiler, and so they get Virginia Tech, NC State, and Pitt all at home. And so they could actually be the team that sort of decides the coastal. Um, If they can sort of get that new system together and sort of, they might be out of bowl contention at that point, but they could be that team that knocks off somebody late that pushes one team out of that uh, ACC championship race. And so I'll be curious to see how how they sort of respond over the year. it's just I think the whole schedule's rough because you've got at you know they're at Duke and at Miami and so it's just going to be a long year for them and I'd be curious to see how well they're able to continue to recruit um, as they shift to this new system and, and will they become a, a, a threat again and how quickly. Yeah, I, think, I think they'll be all right recruiting if only because like a you're near the local talent base b um, I think Jeff Collins is going to kind of start fresh. And I mean, we've already seen like SU's already lost a a four-star wide receiver to them. I I, I think like players understand, like if you come in, it's just like Syracuse in recent years. Like you come in, if you're a highly talented recruit, you might play right away. Yes. Yeah. You might play right away. You might be able to hit the field right away. And like, that's an opportunity in a power five conference, especially in Georgia that like doesn't come every day. So I think that they'll be all right. Um, I know we face them next year. So I'm hoping that they're not necessarily done with this reclamation project yet. Um, also face them at the dome, which will be at least like mildly helpful. And and this time we won't 
decide to uh, switch to a three four defense <laughs> oh. uh, the week of the game. Yeah, just yeah. let's let's thank God. <laughs> thank God we won't be able won't be doing that. So thank you, Scott yeah. Schaefer. Yeah, the, the last couple of Georgia Tech Syracuse games have not been pretty. So yeah, hopefully we can return the favor next year. <laughs> uh, fingers crossed there. Uh, North Carolina would be our next team, another squad that is looking to kind of fix things a bit. Um, they hired Mac Brown, which is questionable, but seems to be working from a recruiting standpoint somehow. Yeah, they didn't hire Greg Robinson. So. They they almost yeah. hired Greg Robinson, oh, and that was awesome. I was I really thought that like that like we'd reached like uh, peak parody where the internet just became real life. Oh, that that was just so disappointing for all the folks that that cover in in the Carolina media, but uh, Carolina media disappointing for us. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but man, yeah, Mac Brown. That's a. This is, oh boy. I thought Larry Fedora was a good hire for them, and uh, before he declared his war on football, which he lost, I uh, uh, couldn't win that battle. Um, I thought you know he would be a guy that that could help that team, and and boy, after they lost uh, Mitchell Trubisky, then then the wheels fell off there, and then to go back to Mac Brown is just sort of a, a real question mark and a head scratcher from. Where, especially where the rest of the ACC seems to be going, um, you know, it just it doesn't seem to fit that that sort of trend and where the conference and some of the other coaching hires that schools have made recently to sort of go back to Mac Brown and this. Uh, all right, we're going to reach back to the glory days. I just, um, man, I, I I don't see how this works unless they figure out some sort of succession plan in the next couple of years because it's gonna. I think it's going to be a challenge for them to keep a lot of the in-state talent um, away from NC State and even in Duke uh, with Mac there, just the questions that are going to be surrounding him and his longevity. Yeah, I mean, the longevity stuff, I think, is the biggest concern. I think the fact that he, like, kind of fixed the hiring process after, like, when it looked like he was going to entertain Robinson and some other uh, people, I think he's actually done, like, a decent job. And like I said, he's recruiting well so far. Um, the fact that he, you know, when it went – Ended up going in on air raid, uh, you know, brought in former Ole Miss OC uh, Phil Longo. Like, I think that's a smart idea. I don't know if Longo's like the succession plan. I think that, that right. like you said, though, like there needs to be kind of that next step. And whether it's Longo or somebody else, like you need to kind of have that next guy um, up and ready to go. And UNC should be able to at least theoretically pay to, to keep that guy around for a couple of years while you let, you know, Brown coach, whether it's four or five seasons and just kind of act as placeholder and like, you know, home fixer. He isn't necessarily like he's been that, I guess for UNC and for Texas. The problem is like, that's not really how his career has been defined. Right. So I'm Some curious. People, yeah. Oh, I'm, sorry. I'm curious though, is like, if they do lose a couple games and the offense struggles, is he, is he going to continue to let Longo run his system or is he going to be one of these coaches that's going to say i know what works and and revert and revert back um that's the, the question i have is when you when you have a head coach and they're changing their system and their philosophy to fit whether it's what the administration wants or the boosters want or what they think they need to do to win is it sounds great on paper but when it's not happening on the field do they grab that control and then what happens there? What happens with the personalities there? And, and so that would be my question with UNC this year is, you know, is, is Mac going to let the system, is he really going to let control go on that side of the ball? Are they really going to run the air raid? Or if 
they lose a couple games, is he going to say, all right, no, I got to go back to what I know works because I was successful with it. And so that's always a, that's always a question I have when you have sort of coaches who are sort of balancing systems like that. Um, it's one of the things that uh, is going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, I think they are going to lose a couple games, at least early. You got South Carolina, Miami, Wake, uh, App State, Clemson to kind of start the season. Like, this is a UNC team that even if improved, and I think they should be improved to some extent, like could be 0-5. Really don't know who's going to play quarterback yet. Uh, I know Sam Howell's a five-star guy. Um, UNC's, like I said, done a decent job recruiting, and Mac Brown really helped them kind of like resuscitate that class at the end um, right. of the 2019 cycle. Uh, I mean, we know for a fact, too, like – just because you install an up-tempo system doesn't mean it works right away. Obviously, UNC has better athletes to start that uh, process, but it doesn't mean all of them are necessarily fits for the up-tempo uh, you know, kind of spread-type system that they're implementing right away. Uh, and, think, and if you're, oops, sorry. If you're oh, one and four at the end of September, though, is he going to stay the course this year and just understand that this is going to be, there's going to be bumps and that it's not about necessarily the wins and losses, but getting that system in place and sort of, you know, revitalizing, re-energizing the program again. Uh, so it'll be, it'll be curious to see. It's like the Miami situation. You know, really with some of these new coaches, I'm really curious to see what happens and how they handle adversity and, and how they respond and, and what that means for the team. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that there's there's a decent amount back on defense. I think the fact that they get a clean slate on offense, like SU when they transitioned to Baber's system, didn't have much of a clean slate. Uh, this group gets to pretty much start over if they want to, um, which could actually be helpful. Um, while defensively, like there, there, there's enough returning talent there, even though the defense wasn't that great. There's enough returning talent there that you know, the wheels might not necessarily fall off. I think this team could press for six wins, but more realistically, we're probably looking at four or so. And that's, yeah, like, like you said, that's kind of fine in year one. If you start, if you see that progress over the course of the season, and maybe you hang with a Virginia or you hang with Pitt or NC state um, toward the end of the year, I think that that's a, that that's a successful first go at it. Right. Who have we not covered yet? Oh, we haven't really talked about Pitt. Well, <laughs> and um, I tell you, we talk about you know you look at early season <laughs> with Pitt, Virginia, Ohio, Penn State, UCF. You could lose every one of those games. Yeah, uh, you know. Please and, do it. <laughs> and then, like you know, what's going to happen? And I think uh, you know, college football to me is so much about the momentum and, and games that swing. And so that first week against Virginia is going to be such a big game for both both teams um pit home so if you can if you can you know hold that home field advantage and then if you can beat ohio at home and then if you lose at penn state and come back um you know you're two and one with hosting ucf but if you lose to virginia and even if you beat ohio now if you're one and two you know after penn state and hosting ucf uh, you know, if you're one in three and there's still one game left in september man that's just that's a tough thing for uh, a college team, I think, to rebound from. And so I'll be really curious with the, a lot of these coastal teams is, you know, what are they going to look like that at the end of September? You know, what's the conference going to look like? And then how is it going to play out the rest of the way? Yeah, I mean, as mentioned, I know most Syracuse fans are like two games lower on Pitt than, uh, than Pitt ends up. I've got them at four and eight. So maybe they go six and six. Um, I I just don't see them as like a really... 
they're not a dynamic offense and like replacing both running backs from last year, like uh, Kadri Olson and Darren Hall are both out. Yeah. They were both thousand yard rushers, like having to replace almost the entire offensive line aside from, you know, Jimmy Morrissey. Um, like they have wide receivers, but I don't trust Kenny Pickett to throw to them. I also think that like Pat Narduzzi is kind of overrated as a head coach. Um, you know, he, he rode kind of the success of that Matt Kennedy year. Yeah. Um, to like a lot of credit, maybe undue credit. Um, when you look at what Pitt's really been since then, like they haven't looked that great. Like this, this defense could be good up front, but I'm still like kind of doubtful about what the secondary is. Like considering the, the, the defensive, uh, you know, kind of bona fides that he came in with. Um, I don't really think this defense is delivered at all. Yeah, I've actually think uh, they've been better on offense than they've been yeah. on defense in his era. I mean, they've been a, a a physical running team, and that they've been able to win games that way. But yeah, nothing about Pitt's defense in the Narduzzi era has really struck me as uh, as a wow. You know, that's that's a team you don't want to play because of the way they play defense. Yeah, and, and like realistically, like. I think most of their easier games on the schedule are on the road, or at least some of the easier games on the schedule are on the road. So, like, yeah, I, I think four and eight's reasonable. And, like, I don't think Narduzzi's on the hot, hot seat necessarily. He did just win a division, and it is Pitt. Right. Um, at the same time, like, I think a four and eight season sets the stage for, um, you know, a really kind of dicey 2020 for him, though. Yeah, I mean, it, it's today's college football with what these coaches are making, you can't have you can't be going backwards two years in a row. And I think it's just, I mean, we see uh, Steve Adazio uh, who has just kind of maintained that same seven wins and, and people at BC want to get rid of him. And so that desire for fan bases, uh, they're not going to be satisfied with, you know, winning a division one year and then going four and eight and you can't follow that up with another losing season. Yeah. I, I I'm very intrigued to see what happens to Pitt this year. Obviously I hope they lose, but um, I, I think that there, there, there's a lot on the table here uh, for them, for Narduzzi. I think this season's pretty critical um, following up on that, that surprise Coastal Championship. Um, but lastly, um, Virginia Tech. So I know Bud Foster's leaving right. at the end of this year, which is going to be an interesting... it be interesting for this season because they were... They weren't that great on defense last year, and that was a surprise for the group. Obviously, like Bud Foster's defenses have been a key part of what's been um, what's kept Virginia Tech so successful these past few decades. Right. Um, I think this year's team, there's a lot of like last year's defense fell apart before the season even started. So the fact that that happened, I think, shouldn't really surprise people. I think the fact that now they have arguably the most experienced defense in the country. Uh, should tell you a lot about kind of what's next. I actually think they're going to be really good on that end uh, this year. And I think really what's going to decide things is, you know, Fuente kind of getting out of his own way on offense where he was brought in to be, I think, a, a, a you know, offensive mind, obviously, to bounce out Foster. And now, right. um, yeah, he's kind of got to deliver the goods um, on that. And I think Ryan Willis, will see if he's that guy to do it. Um, I think that at least have, they have the schedule, though, you know, to make it happen. Uh, they got two FCS teams in Furman and Rhode Island. They, they have Old Dominion. Um, they also have Notre Dame, though, which is a, a tougher matchup. I think this is a team that could potentially press for a division title. I think it ultimately might come down to um, that game at Virginia, though, to end the season. Yeah, and I, 
I think you're right. I think they're one of the teams that Bill sees. Um, S&P predictions had them for eight wins. Um, thought that they could be a breakout team um, with Willis coming back and, and Foster in the defense. And so the talent is there. And I think it's one of those, like every other team that we've been talking about in the division, it's like everybody is, for as much as you're excited about one thing, there's something else that makes you like, eh, I'm just not sure about this team and, and what they're going to do. And and so there's a lot back, and I think that first game for them too is big on the road to BC. Um, they're probably going to get a health. Uh, you know, AJ Dillon's going to be as healthy as he will be all year uh, before he gets run into the ground. And so, can they get a road win right off the bat and start off their season, and again get that momentum going? Because, like you said, the schedule is not that challenging um, for them, and then in the non-conference and. Again, I, I'm a big. I keep talking about momentum, but I think it's so big in, in college when you get teams going, and you can uh, get that sort of positive uh, vibes going in the locker room and the coaches. Everybody's sort of buying in. Um, you then see the results on the field. Whereas flip side, where a team loses a couple games, and you know offense turns on defense, and there's finger pointing among the coaching staff, and people are looking at their next job or next year, and and then they, the wheels can come off quickly. Yeah, this is definitely going to be an interesting one there, and I think some other places too. Um, just before we go, Kev, um, predicted order of finish in the Coastal. Um, I'll just do mine. You want to just say yours yeah. if you have it, like top of mind. I'm going UVA, Miami, Virginia Tech, Duke, uh, Pittsburgh, North Carolina, Georgia Tech. So I would go Virginia. I'm going to go Virginia Tech, then Miami, Duke, Pittsburgh, UNC, Georgia Tech. All right, mostly similar. I think, yeah, like uh, both have UVA to complete the uh, the coastal wheel of mediocrity, as right. as many have probably noticed by now. Um, a different team wins the coastal every year lately. After starting out the division process um, with Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech, kind of alternating years. Um, so yeah, this would be the seventh different team in a row to uh to win the coastal if it happens so uh, yeah, and hopefully the people in charlottesville uh will make we made amends by picking them to to win the division uh, if, they, if they win the division they're gonna be super cool about it too though <laughs> like, like they're gonna be like very humble very, uh, they're, so they're, humble. Not gonna, yeah, they're not gonna tell everybody about it every week yeah so so humble oh yeah i mean how much does the acc want to go back and redraw these divisions because it was set up to be florida state and miami in every championship game and and those schools didn't you know miami especially has not lived up to that end of the bargain must drive the people in charlotte or greensboro nuts i should say yeah i uh i'm sure if they could redo things to be honest i think they'd still put miami in the other division just for the sake of florida exposure yep uh for the other teams but yeah the 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 florida state miami uh pipe dream for uh, for championship games has is, is not happened and, and might never happen. Who knows? Um, I, I kind of hope it never happens. <laughs> I'll be good with that. Yeah, same here, actually. Uh, Kevin, anything else before we, uh, before we head out for the week? I appreciate you uh, coming on in, uh, in Dan's stead this week. No, I, thanks for having me in my first time on the, the flagship podcast. <laughs> edition. So appreciate Dan heading out to Italy to scout out restaurants for Bayheim in advance of the tour and hopefully he's enjoying himself and uh always happy to fill in and i'll uh for next time i'll have some different beers for you guys fair enough fair enough uh everybody that was kevin i'm john uh you've been listening to troy noon's an absolute podcast you can rate review subscribe on itunes on 
Megaphone, on Stitcher, on Spotify. Uh, we're in a bunch of other places too. So just be sure to, uh, to say nice things. And if you have uh, not nice things to say, just uh, just email me and then maybe we can fix them. Who knows? And uh, go orange. <laughs>